0: Good morning. Today's scripture reading is Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Greg. It's nice to see you. (laughs) I must say, it is uh, wonderful uh, to be together again with, with... well, I was going to say some of you, some of Spring Garden, but all of you <laughs> who are here. Uh, it is wonderful to see uh, people face-to-face for so, after so long, um, although we're only seeing about maybe a third of your face. It is still, uh, still nice. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because uh, I'm tired of just talking to a camera lens, <laughs> although I guess that's part of it too. But. Now, there are uh, many limitations that have been put on us over the months, and worshiping online. Largely, it's the physical presence of being with one another in this place, something that we hold to as an integral part of our faith in Jesus, uh, regardless of a uh, pandemic. Many different people all made into one community, and this is, I mean, this is a symbol of communion, right? Many grains made to one loaf, many people in one community. And many, if not most of our community, uh, have to remain under those limitations and stay at home. Uh, because of their own safety, the peace of mind uh, choices that they um, are, are, are feeling they need to make. But for those of us who have come today and those who will come in the following weeks, we are simply trading one set of limitations for another. In our homes, we had the loss of being together, but to come together, we've traded that for some new losses. You can't sing aloud you can't eat or drink uh, the Lord's Supper, although when Sam was doing it, I think just <laughs> having done it for over 40 years, I could actually taste the juice in the bread. I don't know about you, but <laughs> I could actually taste it as Sam was eating it, but uh, I guess I need to brush my teeth better in the morning or something. When you've, you've, uh, you can't breathe unobstructed breath. I love that we sing breathing in your breath. Because as you're doing it, you're like, I'm, I'm actually having trouble breathing in any breath because of this mask as we say these words. Hey, I found that even my range of singing when I'm humming, I can't even hum in the same range that I sing. So I was skipping all over the place. You know, These are re- very real things that change the fabric of our experience together. Um, yet for those who can come, there's a hope that being in this space together will outweigh those other limitations. But those limitations are real. One of which, of course, that I neglected to mention is that you can't dance in your underwear. Another limitation, of course, is that when no one laughs at my jokes, I can no longer just say that's because no one's in the room. (laughs) We've had people... uh, we, of course, as I mentioned, we have people who feel the limitations and these restrictions outweigh the benefits of coming in. And, and we, I totally respect that and, and understand that. We all have different levels of needs and desires and hopes and ways of engaging in worship. And, of course, the most important, we all have different medical uh, and safety uh, needs and, and opinions. So there is no one right thing to do. Now, in this pandemic, I think we've all felt almost everything, whether it's coming to worship or simply deciding if you'll go to the grocery store, you're missing something, just one thing, is it actually worth it to go for the grocery, to the grocery store for that? Like, there's big and small limits. Everything is navigating between various limitations and losses that are placed on us. Some of these, of course, have been easy to adapt to, but many of them are difficult and have had heaviness attached to them. Last night is a great example. Kids, how was Halloween for you? Did you survive it? Did you have some good times, hopefully? I know for my family, we don't celebrate the darkness. We don't celebrate the morbid stuff. But Halloween is a time to celebrate friends, to celebrate neighbors and cousins, to celebrate creativity, playful imagination, and of course to celebrate refined sugar, this year, of course, we as a family, and I think you know, all over the city, uh, we grieved this loss of so many parts of what makes Halloween fun, but yet we did our best to find other creative ways to enjoy the day, but even with creativity, we still have losses that are hard to accept. Um, and for the most part, that you know affects the younger among us greatly. Today we are reflecting just about about just that: our losses, our limitations, and how we as followers of Jesus are to respond to them in a way that is not only faith-filled, but that is also healthy and whole. In life, we experience all kinds of losses. Whether it's the death of a loved one, or we lose our job, or we lose a friend, a relationship. Our health breaks down. Something happens that causes us to lose someone. We if we someone we want to be respected by someone, and we've if something's happened. We've lost their respect or the respect of others. Or we have to miss an important event. I know something that's our family has grieved a lot is all of the events that we've missed dinners together as as families and friends. These events, missing them, has weighed heavily. And the list goes on and on. I'm sure if any of us were to pause, it wouldn't take very long to think of a loss in your life that kind of still causes feelings of sadness, of emptiness, heaviness, or loneliness that rise up within us. Our personal limitations are also forms of loss that are hard for us to many to accept. Whether they're limitations because of your physical realities, perhaps due to an injury, or age, or health, or genetics, that can manifest then in a loss of everything from a participation in sports to moving freely without pain. Could be intellectual limitations because of IQ or neurological difference, which can manifest in things like a loss of school or career opportunities, or that just make things hard. We all move through life with these different experiences of loss and limitations, and this is true whether we believe in God or not. However, while we do go through loss and limitation like everyone, I do believe that our relationship with Jesus, with a God who entered our very experience of loss, can reframe and redeem our losses and our limitations. I think the Bible teaches us a fair amount about how and who we are to be while we are experiencing loss, and it uh, it it begins with grief, with mourning. The psalm that Anne read to us is a song of loss. Whatever has been happening to to the author has been extremely hard, and so the psalmists have been crying a vast amount of tears day and night. They are mourning the loss of being able to go and worship God in a safe place. They are mourning the loss of respect of people around them as they accuse them and attack them. People around them are seeing their despair and they're saying, where is your God? Why isn't God helping you? And so they mourn the loss of feeling like God is there for them and the loss of feeling like those around them can see the goodness of God. They are in deep agony as their bones ache. So mourning some of, they're mourning some form of physical pain or limitation. And in this prayer, in the midst of their mourning, the psalmist keeps reminding themselves of what God has done in the past. Grieving and weeping while at the same time tenaciously holding on to the memory of the goodness of God in the past as a place to find hope for the goodness of God in the present in the present and the future my soul my soul why are you downcast why so disturbed within me put your hope in god for i will yet praise him my savior and my god Now, I don't think the psalmist is saying, I will praise him, is kind of a simple, yeah, it's all good, it'll all be fine, and I'm going to praise him. I think this is more like a strained, desperate attempt to hold on for dear life. Put your hope in God. I will praise him. I will. I will. There is a trust of God's goodness and faithfulness, but it is not an ignorant or naive trust saying, oh, it's all fine, God will manipulate everything for my good, that kind of trust. But a healthy willingness to grieve, to weep, to wail in the midst of loss and suffering kind of trust. And of course, this psalm was not just one person's mournful prayer of desperate trust. It was a song that an entire nation would sing as part of their worship. In the 1980s, there was a song that attempted to put this psalm uh, to worship. Uh, does anyone remember this? It goes, Has the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longs after you. Right? Anyone remember that one? I loved that song. I loved it. It was beautiful. It was happy. It was uplifting. Written in a major key, all about being the apple of God's eye. You know, the, which is true. We are the apple of God's eye. But as the deer pants for water, a happy song? Have you ever seen an animal near death from dehydration? We're not putting any pictures up, and I'm not gonna describe it, but it is not pretty. It is not happy, it is not zippity-doo-dah, Walt Disney, Bambi, dancing, singing songs in the forest kind of a picture. The soundtrack would be anything but happy. And this happiness of that song, I think, is simply a good example of how we in the church have been so uncomfortable with mourning. That we have to, if we're going to, we think, oh, this is a good song. we should sing this together. We take one of the saddest songs in the Bible, one of the strongest pictures of desperation, and we can only sing it if we put on a happy face. Now again, I I mean, I love the song, but I think it simply highlights that there are temptations in our Christianity to want to put a, a shallow face that is always happy. We have these ideas that are false ideas that if we know God, we're supposed to walk around singing happy songs with cartoon birds landing on our shoulders as we dance in a field. We have false ideas that verses like rejoice in the Lord always means that grief has no place in true faith. We have unhealthy and I think unbiblical sense of guilt or embarrassment for feeling so sad that we want to cry. Why do we feel embarrassed when we cry? Now, of course, this isn't just in Christianity. I can only speak from my own upbringing, my own culture, but in the white Canadian culture I grew up in, Crying was behind closed doors kind of thing. The thought of a man crying, now that's just embarrassing for everyone. This type of repressive response to loss does not reveal strong faith, but I think it actually ignores how the Bible speaks about grief. And it also stifles the growth of our emotional health. All through Scripture, we see many instances of grieving, and while it's true that the Bible does foresee a time of when mourning will be no more, that is not the time in which we live. In Scripture, when someone dies, the whole community would mourn for seven days straight, sometimes up to up for 30 days. Family and friends would gather to weep and to wail and tear their clothes, put on sackcloth, fasting and singing dirges. It was so important to them that their time of grieving was full of outward emotion and so community-based that they even had professional mourners, people called singing men and singing women that the family would hire to come to grieve with them to add to the outward volume of weeping and wailing. None of this trying to maintain your composure through a funeral type of thing that I grew up with. I can't imagine if a group of people, the funerals that I went to as a kid, if a group of people came in weeping and wailing and being loud, everyone, the ushers would be trying to stop them, right? They'd be walking up, tapping them on the shoulder. If you don't settle down, you got you to gotta move, move out of here. In the New Testament, sorry, long before psychology taught us that our mental and our emotional well-being is dependent and it is important for us to grieve well. Cultures like the Israelites knew that there needed to be this kind of mourning, that there needed to be several periods of mourning to help people to come through their grief. In the New Testament, one of the authors, a follower of Jesus named Paul, he writes that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. And this, I think, is where we tend to, we've held on to that one, is evangelical Christianity. But the next line is to mourn with those who mourn. To weep with those who weep. Jesus himself, of course, said in Matthew 5, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And even if there was no other mention of grieving in the Bible, even if none of that was there, it is enough to know that Jesus, the one who could raise people from the dead, he himself grieved and mourned. The Bible tells us two stories of Jesus weeping. One is when he looks over the city of Jerusalem and he has an awareness of what suffering was going to come upon it, what bad was coming, and he wept. The second is when his friend Lazarus died. John 11, uh, 32. When Mary, so Mary is the brother of Lazarus who had died, and Jesus friend. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her were also weeping, that's family and this crowd of paid mourners, he was deeply moved when he saw them. He was moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. As I found out this week, that is the favorite uh, Bible verse when you have to pick a verse to memorize. Apparently, in grade five, right? That's the verse to pick. Jesus wept. Nice and short. Jesus sees his friends, and he sees the crowd weeping. And because of the death of his friend, he was moved to tears. Now, this isn't a light dab at the corner of your eyes kind of tears. This weeping and mourning is to wail, is to cry freely and profusely. I like that word, profusely. I think when I always read that verse, Jesus wept, I would kind of pictured him attending to a funeral like I had, you know, standing solemnly in a suit and tie, single tear crawling down his cheek, but, you know, uh, Kleenex close by to dab it. But Jesus didn't get a piece of dust in his eye. He was crying profusely. Does picturing Jesus, your Lord and Savior who can raise people from the dead, crying profusely change your image of me? I know it does for me. Change your image of me. Change your image of him? I know it does for me. Does it make you uncomfortable? If so, you are probably emotionally stunted like I am. But that's okay. There is hope for us. For one, picturing Jesus crying profusely gives those of us who are uncomfortable with expressing our grief outwardly, it gives us permission to open up to it. It is important that we give ourselves permission to grieve and to grieve outwardly. But I think it's also important for us to give one another permission to do so as well. Does anyone remember the old, there's an old TV show, kids show called Free To Be You and Me, and it has a song that goes, it's all right to cry, crying takes the sad out of you. Anyone? No? Okay. I know my wife does, so I got one person. It's all right to cry, it may make you feel better. You should YouTube it, it's a good one, especially the, anyway, I won't YouTube it. Grieve your losses. Don't pretend they didn't leave a hole in your heart or stuff down your emotions. This isn't biblical faith to pretend like we don't hurt. I think many of us feel like if we allow ourselves to grieve, the grief will take over us in, a, in, a, in an unhealthy way. However, when we do give ourselves permission to grieve, the opposite happens. The pain and the loss loses its control over us. And grief actually helps us to not let our loss become an obsession or a focal point. Grief helps our loss not to take over us, but it gives it its due space to find healing. In the book, Emotionally Spirituality, Peter Schizero writes, Turning toward our pain is counterintuitive. But in fact, the heart of Christianity is that Way to life is through death. The pathway to resurrection is through crucifixion. A theologian and psychotherapist, so someone who tries to bring faith and uh, the science of the brain together, James Olthuis, he writes this in his book, The Beautiful Risk. The exercise of mourning is an act of courage rather than a ritual of defeat a mark of strength and not a sign of weakness. In mourning, we reclaim rather than surrender our power of agency. It is precisely the act of letting go into the suffering, connecting with fear and anger, experiencing the pain and grieving the loss that opens the road to healing. Grief is the healing emotion that allows a person to bear the pain in a new way. Old hurts are not undone, but are born in new ways. And then this time that we all find ourselves in, I I wonder what our society will look like when this pandemic is done and our whole society has tried to repress the grief and the losses that this has, has been on us. Can you imagine, now this is something that we do say to people, can you imagine saying to Jesus, while he was weeping, don't worry, everything will be all right. I mean, he's God, he knows how everything will turn out. And in the case of Jerusalem, he knew it was going to turn out bad. So why do we always want to say to people who are grieving, don't worry, everything will be all right. This too will pass. Imagine saying to grieving Jesus, the creator of the universe, who is weeping, what you're feeling right now will pass. The truth of your situation is actually this, and try to put a happy spin on it for poor baby Jesus. God has a plan and moves in mysterious ways, so have faith. Time heals all wounds. Jesus, you just have to be strong. (laughs) Jesus, always look on the bright side of life. Jesus, don't cry. This too will pass. Can you imagine saying those things? But aren't those the things that we say to each other? When we tell people in agony or tell ourselves when we are in agony that it's not that bad or we belittle and minimize the loss, what we think is helpful, is neither helpful nor comforting. What it is, is an act of abandonment. We are abandoning that person in their time of need. We are belittling a very real loss that they or that we are experiencing because we are uncomfortable with sadness. We are abandoning because of our discomfort and abandoning their need to just grieve and to be broken with someone who loves them regardless of if they're smiling or crying. Proverbs 25.20 says, Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on a wound, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Though I think there are songs we can sing to a heavy heart. Psalm 42 if we don't sing the 1980s contemporary version of it. I think the writer of Proverbs would have liked, there's a Canadian singer named Holly Cole who sings a song, Cry if you want to, I won't tell you not to. I won't try to cheer you up, I'll just be here if you want me. I think that's a good song to sing to a heavy heart. And the song, though, doesn't have to be heavy. In my neighborhood last night, many adults... Who had most of whom had grown-up children who don't even trick-or-treat, they decided that they would go door-to-door delivering candies to children. Reverse it. They knew that the loss of no trick-or-treating was going to be hard on the kids and that they couldn't take away how hard it was for the kids not to be out having fun, especially on the first non-raining Halloween in like a decade. <laughs> That's a loss right there. <laughs> but so that they could say, you know, we're with you in this. We know this is hard. Here's some candy. Last night here at Spring Garden, uh, a group of people volunteered their night to come and offer that same presence to our neighbors. We're in this with you. We know this is hard. Here's some candy. Wouldn't it be nice if we could help people in their grief all the time just by saying, here's some candy. I think that's why there's always Nanaimo bars at funerals. We know this is important for something as for adults, for something as small as Halloween, so it's funny that as adults we have a hard time with deeper grief. We have a hard time uh, say, being okay with the grief and saying we're just going to be with you and present to you in it instead of wanting to take it away. Jesus was not uncomfortable with sadness. He did not run away from it, but he entered it. He entered into his own sadness, and he entered into our sadness and pain and loss, entering into our suffering and sharing in our pain. Jesus does not deny our pain, our loss, our grief, our sadness, but he validates it by stepping into it with us. And of course, where we find our truest hope is that Jesus doesn't simply empathize. He doesn't simply incarnate put flesh on our grief and our pain. He takes it the whole way. He takes it to the cross. Loss, whether big or small, are like little deaths within us. We grieve because something has died. Something is gone from us. And Jesus enters into those deaths, whether they're big or they're small. He sits with us in them. And through those deaths at the cross and at the empty grave, Jesus enfolds those deaths with the resurrection life. Jesus' resurrection is not about avoiding death. He went straight into it. But it is about bringing life through death. And it doesn't make death or loss good. It doesn't make it not painful. But it does mean that we are never alone through the loss. And that Jesus will bring life through death in his resurrection life. And it is here in the hope of Jesus being the resurrection and the life. Through our experiences of loss and dying that we can say with the psalmist. By the day the Lord directs his love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Our call as followers of Jesus is not to ignore or to minimize loss, but to grieve with those who grieve, to weep with those who weep, and to bless those who mourn. Simply being present, letting others know they are not alone, and reminding them that Jesus is there weeping with them. And as we do this through the Spirit of God, we will find we are able to grow through it. To grow deeper in our relationships with God and our relationships with one another. With the hope and the freedom and the life that comes through death and through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Let's pray. God, by your Spirit, who pleads for us with groanings too deep for words, help us to be people who can grieve with those who grieve. Help us to be people who are not ashamed of sadness, are not ashamed of tears, whether it's ours or someone else's. Help us to be people who can grieve with those who grieve as well as rejoice with those who rejoice. Help us be the presence of Jesus to others in their loss and help us to allow others to be the presence of Jesus to us in our losses. That through grieving in our loss we may know your resurrection power that does not leave us in the grave but that lifts us to new life through your resurrection. Amen.